And uh, we are going to start our brand new series this morning called Why Worship? And uh, I want to just thank the guys that put the signing together. How cool does that sign look? Why worship? And, and next week it's going to be flashing and pulsing because I think that's a question that everybody should be asking. Why do we worship? What is worship about? So over the next few months, we're going to ask the questions, you know, why, what, where, when, who, how, all those sort of things. We're going to answer those questions and we're going to be looking at the main overview topic of why do we worship? Is everyone good with that? All right, let me give you a little story. A few weeks ago, or a few weeks ago, a couple of years ago, I should say, my wife and daughter and I had an opportunity to go down to Tasmania. And somewhere between Bishano and the Bay of Fires, we went over towards and just about an hour out of a place called Derby. We went and we found a little dirt road. We went down the dirt road and we realised that we were allowed to go fossicking. I don't know whether anybody's ever been fossicking, but we found this little dirt road. Then we found a bridge and we found a stream and we, we went down into the stream and there was another little family there from Germany and they were very beneficial to us. They showed us how to fossick and how to dig into the mud and how to sieve the dirt and sieve the stones and find the gems that are in the stream. And I'm going to say that again. When you go down, you're looking through the dirt and the mud and the mire and you're standing in this stream under the bridge. By the way, it's really cold and you're standing there and you're sieving. I, mean, I reckon we probably spent three or four hours just going through and sieving and tipping it out and looking for the gems, the things that were hidden inside the stream. And I want to say to you this morning, that's going to lead us right into where we're going, because the truth is the gems that you're looking for are found in the stream. Everyone remembers from last week. If you didn't, I'm going to give you a quick recap. Last week, we said David, in the epic tale of David about to slay Goliath, he puts on the armor, he takes off the armor, and he goes down to a brook, a stream, a river. And inside that river, he finds five smooth stones, five stones that have been tossed around by time, five stones that have had water running over them. Inside that stream, he pulls out five smooth stones. And the answer to slay the Goliath is found in the stream. The answer to find the treasure is found in the stream. And we poked that apart a little bit more. We said Ezekiel chapter 47, Ezekiel 47, Ezekiel's a prophet. He has this incredible vision while he's in Babylon. He has a vision of a temple and God takes him to the temple and he measures out from the temple and there's this river that issues or runs out from the door of the temple. And as he goes along, he goes a thousand cubits and it measures out and it's water up to his ankle. And he goes along a little bit further, another thousand, it's water up to his knees. And he goes a little further and it's water up to his waist. And a little further, it's a river that cannot be crossed. And so we painted this picture last week. And I want to keep painting the picture. Number one, that your answer is found in the stream. The answer to slay the Goliath is found in the stream. Number two, as you spend time, as you spend, and I want you to get this. How do you know, how do you know the water was in his ankles? How does he know? Because he got into the stream. How did he know the water was up to his knees? Because he got into the stream. How did he know it got up to his waist? Because he got into the stream. I want you to picture this this morning because the longer you spend in the stream, the deeper the stream gets. The answer you're looking for, the treasure you're looking for, the stone you're looking for to slay the Goliath, the blessing you're looking for is going to be found in the stream. And we're going to stick with this theory for a little while. We're going to try and push it in a little bit because it's not going to sit on the surface. My prayer is this will go deeper and actually become a part of our lives. Not just, you know, not just one of those surface messages we listen to and be like, oh yeah, that's really good. But something that will actually take root in our lives. 
something that will actually transform our lives. I don't want 100 people to hear the message and go, that was great. I want 100 people to wrestle with it. I want 100 people to look at how they can apply it into their life. Are you getting me this morning? All right, so we said we've got David, we said we've got Ezekiel, and we went on a little bit further. We said Psalms 105, and the psalmist says that in the midst of the dry wilderness, there was a river that came out of the rock. In the midst of a dry place, there's a rock, and out of the rock comes a river. And we said that according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 4, he says that rock was Christ. So now we've got a picture of a river that flows out of a temple, a river from where David gets his smooth stones, and that river that quenches your thirst in a dry place, that river flows from the rock, and the rock is? Let's try that one more time. You ready? And the rock is? Yeah, it wasn't a trick question. We've all got it. The rock is? The rock is Christ. And what's really cool is the rock is no longer a geographic location, but wherever you go, Christ can go with you. Wherever you go, that river has the potential to go with you. And then we looked over into John 7.37, and we said Jesus stood on the last great day of the feast, and he said, if any man's thirsty, if anyone's thirsty, if anyone needs a stone, if anyone needs a gem, if anyone needs their thirst quenching, if anyone needs to be refreshed, if anyone's thirsty, let him come unto me. Who's me? Me, the rock. Let him come unto me and drink. And out of his innermost being, outside of you, will flow rivers, rivers. Everyone say rivers. We've got to get with this. Is one of rivers of living water. So Christ paints his picture throughout the scriptures. There's this picture of a river where David gets a smooth stone and a river where Ezekiel sees, and the Bible says in Ezekiel, that wherever that river went, there was healing, there was refreshing. Even when that river poured into the Dead Sea, there was life and fish began to live again. Wherever the river is, there is life, there is healing, there is answers to your problems, there is refreshing. Are you getting that this morning? So the whole thing is we've got to get into the river. It's not good enough to just stand. You know, we could have gone and we could have stood in Tasmania and gone, oh, that looks like a nice river. I'm sure there's gems in there. But unless you actually get in, unless you start to get in and start to dig, unless you look at it closely, you are going to miss what God wants to give you. And I get the feeling that so many Christians see the river, they hear about the river, but it sits on the surface of their life. They're like, that's a great message. That's a great thought. But I want to encourage you to take a step of faith and actually get into Get into the river, which leads me to the next question. How do we get into the river? How do we, great message, Phil. How do we get into the river? Are you ready? It's why we're asking the question, why worship? Do you know one of the best ways to step into that river? In fact, can I go a little bit bolder? The only way, and we're going to unpack this, the only way to step into the river is through worship. And you're sitting here now and you're going, (laughs) I don't know. I don't know whether this is going to line up with the scriptures, Phil. Truth is, me neither. No, I'm just kidding. We're going to be asking the question, why worship? Which leads us to the next question, which is what? What is worship? Isn't that the question? If we know worship is what we use to get into the river, then the next question has to be is what is worship? And if you've been in church for a long time, you're nodding your head and you're going, yes, I know worship. It's this. If you're really, really Pentecostal, it's this. You know, you know the ones, and we've got the different worship styles, rock the baby, goalpost, 
come on, Jesus, you've got to win. You know, you, you, the different, anyone ever seen it? The, the ones that's, you know, socially awkward, this one, you know, just hit the person next to you, hit the person. You know, we want to get that. We want to get it right, don't we? And so many Christians have this concept that worship is what we do on a Sunday just after the fast songs. We do fast songs, we call them praise, and then we do these slow songs, and that's worship, and now we're in the river. Amen. Anyone else? Sometimes, some of you, bam, we do it on a Monday. If you're really spiritual, Monday comes, Keith Green, worship, rock the baby, minister to everybody near me. Good, I've worshipped. You're still getting this, aren't you? Rock the baby, goalpost, minister. Okay. How many people know there's worship's got to be more than that, doesn't it? Worship is not a slow song. That's not worship. And yet somehow in the church, we've taken the concept of worship and we've made it music. Somehow in the church, we've taken the concept of worship and we've made it a song choice. So, so I literally get to have these incredible discussions with incredible people who I love incredibly. Did I say incredible enough times? I get to have incredible discussions with incredible people who I love incredibly who tell me that worship isn't worship because we're singing the wrong song. And I smile at them. I think that's wonderful that they have an opinion. Opinions are like armpits. Everyone's got one. Mostly they smell. Moving on. Okay, you ready? Somehow we've got to break off the chain and the mindset that holds us shackled that says worship is about song selection. Worship is about volume. Worship is about tempo. Worship, and, and so all of a sudden, worship is all these external parameters that we put on and we either go home, don't we? And we go, it was great Who's ever heard the saying, oh, we had great worship? That's a weird saying, isn't it? It's not even a biblical saying. Think about this Gideon. The Bible says that Gideon went down into the camp of the Midianites, right? And he overheard them talking. And right there, he worshipped God. I wonder what that looked like for him. Like, I wonder if he kind of went, ah, yes, Lord! Because probably really, really bad when you're surrounded by a million Midianites who want to kill you. You don't do that in the dead of night. Plus, also, if you're married, you don't do that in the dead of night next to your wife. They don't like it, apparently, you know. You, don't, you can't just lay in your bed and go, yes, Jesus, I worship you. Just, it's weird. You're still following me, aren't you? So worship is not about volume. It's not about intensity. It's not about tempo. So then we've got to ask the question, what the heck is worship? If worship is what I use to get into the stream, wouldn't it be cool to know what worship actually is? Great, if you go back to the Middle English word, we're going to do some, you know, if you're an English teacher here, nod your head. Put your hand up if you're an English teacher. Good, I can say what I like. Ooh, Mark, can you sit outside for a minute, please? (laughs) So worship, according to the Webster Dictionary, came from the Middle English language, and it was worthy Skype. And worthy is applying worth to something or value to something. And so they would apply worth to something, and, and that something would be the Skype, and then it would become the ship. And then all of a sudden, you've got this worthy uh, object or this person who's worth. Like, imagine, you remember it wasn't that long ago when you would introduce his worship, the mayor. It wasn't until 2004 that we changed, by the way, November 2004, yes, I did Google it, where we changed and we now call judges your honour rather than your worship. That kind of helped everybody. So everybody now, when you go to prison, you know, before you're appearing before the judge, um, this is mainly for Dan, when you go, mate, you call him your honour. And now I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm sorry, Dan. I just, you looked like, you know, you, you were before Alex and I didn't want to pick on Alex just yet. I'm warming up to Alex, okay, so... 
All right, is everyone good? So, so according to English, worship is what? Giving worth back to someone, giving honor, giving value, something like that. It's like, man, I just think that person is worthy to be valued and to be honored. So that's a good way of looking at worship. If we're looking in the English language, that's what we would go. Worship is giving worth to somebody or value to somebody or something, which leads me to the next question. What is it you value? Mm, just your silence overwhelms me. <laughs> what is it? Let's go another way. What is it you lift up and value? What carries worth? or weight in your life? What is it you hold up? Jesus taught his disciples to pray. He said, when you pray, pray like this, hallowed be your name. You know, God, I want to set your name aside. I want to lift your name up and I want to hallow your name. I want to apply worth and honor and value to your name. Are you still, I need you to get this because that's the English version. But English version came from the Hebraic mindset. And so we, how many people know that Jesus didn't speak English? Jesus wasn't Australian or American. I know, it's hard to believe for some, but he wasn't. Jesus was a Jew, which means he spoke Hebrew or Aramaic. Now we're going to take that language and we're going to go, how many people know what worship means in Hebrew? Well, great. Okay, we're going to go to that part. So worship in Hebrew is, and I don't know how to pronounce it because, by the way, I'm not Hebrew, in case you didn't know. Um, so I'm just going to pronounce it the best I can, but the worship in Hebrew, the word is shaka. And shakar, do you know what shakar means predominantly? It means to bow down. We don't see this in the Western cultures. We don't see bowing in the Western cultures. Where do you see bowing? Who's ever seen bowing in the Japanese cultures, in the Asian cultures? And, and we know that that's a sign of giving honor because the younger will bow to the older and the depth of the bow and the length the bow is held determines how much reverence you're giving. Peter used to do re-taekwondo. I will guarantee that Master Re would bow to people. Is that right? Please say yes, because otherwise, real awkward illustration, just nod. Even if I make something up, just nod. It helps me along. And moving on, okay. So we, we know when we did taekwondo, we had to bow. And that bow is a sign of reverence. It acknowledges that you are superior. Are you we don't see that a lot in our Western world because we greet with handshakes. And, and if you want to dishonor somebody in Eastern culture, you don't actually bear, you just give them a nod. That's like what you've actually just said is, I am your superior. You just get a nod out of that. And that comes out of this Hebraic language. That comes out of this concept of to worship, to give reverence, to give worth or value to something would imply that you would bow. In fact, the word is even deeper. And I'd love to get somebody up to give an illustration, but I just don't know who because I don't think Mari's going to do it. But uh, to bow in Hebrew is to actually prostrate yourself, which is to lay out flat. And so, you know, if you follow me along, if you were looking through Joshua, in Joshua chapter 5 at the end, it says, in Joshua chapter 5 at the end, he said he approached outside the walls of Jericho, he approached a captain, the lord of the king of armies, hosts, and so let me try and let me just actually read it out for you. Thank you so much for putting that up. So he said, no, but as commander of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped him and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? So Joshua saw him and he 
fell on his face. Now, that doesn't mean he fell on his face. It means he laid on the ground. He prostrated himself out on the ground. He said, God, you are are worthy. You are the one who is in charge of this whole situation. Are you following me this morning? Abraham also fell on his face. Moses fell on his face. All through the scriptures, you see this. It's kind of this intertwined, you fall on your face, and that's your area of worship. But can we go a little bit further? Because I want to say to you this morning, it's not just bowing. It's not just this. It's not just lifting your hands. It's not bowing. It's not, you know, you're not more holy if you kneel and even more holy if you lay on the ground. Because all of those things, okay, you ready? I'm giving you a quick language lesson here. Uh, Hebrew is a concrete language. It's not an abstract language. So when they're writing pictures and they're writing things, they're showing you physically what happens spiritually. They're kind of giving you something. So when you bow down, it's not just about bowing. It's not like that girl. You know that girl who was in the club? We're going to get there. Brian's giving me that look like, where are you going? I'll get there. Stay with me for a second more. You know that girl in the class? And the teacher goes, I need everyone to sit down. And that girl, it was normally my daughter, who keeps standing. And the teacher says, I need everyone to sit down. And they look at them and they're like, mm-hmm. And finally they get really irate and they go, sit yourself down. And the person sits down and they're smiling at the teacher. And the teacher goes, what are you smiling about? And my daughter would normally look at them and go, I'm standing on the inside. The truth is, worship has got more to do with an internal than an external. It's not about, oh, I worship God because I laid on the floor. It's not about I worship God because I lifted my hands super high, higher than the person next to me. It's not about I worship God because I opened them out more. Are you following me? It's about what's going on on the inside. Everyone say inside. It's what goes on on the inside. So the Hebrew word, is shaka, and it means to bow down, but it doesn't just mean to physically bow down. It means to submit and to surrender your plans and your agenda. It's why, in one sense, worship has nothing to do with music and everything to do with a heart motive towards your heavenly Father. So in English, we've got this concept where we give him value and we give him worth, and in Hebrew, we submit and we surrender. We submit what? We submit our plans. We surrender ourselves to him. We say, God, I'm thinking of doing this, but I submit it to you. There's this really cool scripture, okay? I'm going to give you a quick scripture lesson again. Really cool scripture in Hebrews chapter 10. The author of Hebrews, who um, I'm going to call Paul because it's easier to do. The author of Hebrews, and Mari hates it when I do that because I don't know who the author is, and she picked me up on it once, but I'm still going to say it's Paul. All right, so the author of Hebrews, Mari, I love you. The author of Hebrews writes this statement about Jacob and he says by faith it's like in the middle of chapter 11 it's in the middle of his Abraham was a man of faith and this person was a man of faith and then he says by faith Jacob when he was dying blessed each of his sons and Joseph and he worshipped leaning on top of his staff has anyone ever read that scripture before and everyone ever thought that's a weird scripture anyone ever noticed that the word leaning is in shaded so if you look in your Bible, you read the word and, and you actually have the word leaning is shaded. What does shaded mean in your scriptures? It means it's not in the original. It means the interpreter put it in to try and give you some idea of what he was saying. Unfortunately, now, okay, ready? I'm just going to throw this out there. Unfortunately, unfortunately, according to Chain Ventura, who is a linguist and a Hebrew scholar, what he actually says is sometimes when we add things, we add it, the translator adds it to think this will really help people understand. And so you get this picture of this old man who leans on top of his staff and he worships God, right? Sounds cool in theory, except 
And the problem is leaning wasn't there. What it actually said was he worshipped on top of his staff, which is, paints some different pictures. You've got to try and interpret it. Like, was he really good at balancing? What, it, did, he, did he put the staff up and plank on it? You're like, how did... You still follow me, right? But what was like, next question is, what was his staff? What did it mean he worshipped on top of his staff? And to understand that, you have to understand what a staff was. And some people go, oh, it's a staff. It's a shepherd's staff. It's a crook. It wasn't a shepherd's staff. The staff was a rod. The rod was ornate. The rod identified the person as having power or authority. How do we know? Because when, jumping around a little bit of scripture for you, just a bit of background, jumping around, you ready? When Jacob, was Judah, went into Tamar, and, and, you know, they, whatever, you can read it for yourselves, but Judah and Tamar, and then she said, what will you give me for the whatever part? And he said, I don't have anything to give you yet. And she said, well, what will you leave me as a promise that you will give me for the whatever? You're following me, right? And so he said, I'll give you my signet ring and my staff. He left a signet ring and a staff. Now, if a staff was just a bent stick, then how would you know it was his? It wasn't just a bent stick. It identified you as a person of position, authority. It was a prominent piece and so I need you to get that. It was the staff, by the way, that the king held out to Esther when she walked into the throne room. And, and the whole Bible said, you know, if he doesn't extend his rod, his staff, his scepter to me, then, then basically his guard takes off my head. So this staff was the extension of his authority. The staff was something that defined him. Now, have you got that picture in your head? Now let's come right back into when Paul, good one, Mari, when Paul is writing about Joseph, and he says he worshipped on top of his staff. He takes his patriarchal authority, he takes all of that, and he lifts worship above his patriarchal authority. He lifts worship, he lifts God, he submits and he surrenders his authority to God's. Can you see that picture? No wonder it made it into the faith movements. No wonder it made it into these are your men of faith, that this man at the height of his age, which was venerated in the Eastern cultures, at the height of his age, at the strength of his patriarchal power, he lays that down to lift God over it. Now, I think that's pretty special because when we worship, we bow down, we submit and we surrender and that is what worship actually is. How many people did that just help? How many people just got a different picture of worship is not about singing a song. Worship is about submitting and surrendering to God. How do I get into the stream? I value him. I give him worth. And I submit and I surrender to him. Now, you, you, is anyone enjoying this is, or is it just me? Because I'm enjoying it, so... At least one of us is. Um, now, you ready? A contemporary of the Hebraic language was called the Phoenician language, also from Chaim Ben Torah. Thank you, Chaim. I appreciate it. Really hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly. 
But I want to give this honor. So let me give you this really quickly. Um, the first time I quote somebody, it will be the, by their name. The second time, it'll be a man of God once said. And the third time, it'll be as I've always said. So just so you know, first time I quote him, it'll be Chain Ventura. Second time, it's just a man of God. Third time, it's this is now mine. It's in my shepherd bag and this is what's part of my life. So following that along, he, he goes on, he says, so a contemporary of the Hebraic language was the Phoenician language which came out of the Canaanites and the word shakar, by the way, out of the Phoenician language didn't just contain the concept of bowing down, but it actually shakar was if a man fell over the edge of a boat, he would be bowed down. He would be, but it was more than that. You follow me? So if the man fell over the edge of the boat, he would be shakar. He would be bowed down, but he wouldn't just be bowed down in submitting and surrendering. He would submit and surrender to the waves, but the waves would also surround him. Now, it's just me that gets excited by this, but follow me for a second, please. Ready? Because when we truly worship, we don't just honor and value him. We actually submit because to just to go, oh yeah, he's honored and valued. He's he's high up and he's no no no, but it becomes personal because I submit and I surrender to him. Are you still following me? And then the next thing is, and this is important part, he surrounds me. He, I'm not just watching on. I'm in him. I'm surrounded by his presence. It's why it's so sad when we gather at church and we don't step into the stream. It's why it's so sad when we see the presence of God move and because we won't submit and we won't surrender our agenda and our idea of what worship should or shouldn't look like, we miss being in his presence. And we go through our Christian experience ticking our boxes and it's something if you've been watching for a few weeks it's something I'm pushing against stop ticking a box with God he's not impressed he doesn't care if you came to church 10 times on a Sunday or once he doesn't care how much money you put in the offering or how much you or how high you lifted your hands or how often you read your word or how often you prayed he cares about the connection he cares do you actually value me Will you actually submit to me? Will you surrender to me? Here's another thought for surrendering. We have an Alaskan Malu at home. They're a big dog. They're a very big dog. And when he comes out to greet you in the morning, he kind of trots over and he's like, the first time my son heard him, he literally opened the door. The dog came over and did that. He just shut the door. It's like, I said, I think he's just greeting you. And here's the cool thing. My daughter was 10 when we first got him. You know, she could walk over and take his food off him. She could walk over and growl at him. And if she growled at him, my 10-year-old daughter, to this massive Alaska mallow, do you know what he would do? He would lay down, roll over, and expose his belly. What's he saying? I surrender and I submit to your authority. Do you you see the picture of Proskett? Now, do you do that with God? Do you? Because that's an incredibly vulnerable position. So when it comes to worshiping God, what he's actually saying is, I don't want you to just sing a song. I want you to be vulnerable in my presence. I want you to open yourself up and submit and surrender and be surrounded and be totally vulnerable. I don't want you to try and protect yourself. Now, now are you... Come on, please follow me for a little bit longer. I promise I'm nearly done. Can you see the picture that's starting to... We talk about worship and we have a messed up concept. 
And what I want to do is go, what is worship? Worship is honoring him and valuing somebody higher than yourself. Worship is submitting and surrendering. Worship is being vulnerable. Now, now it's really cool. Ready? If worship is how you step into the stream, it means inside that stream, you're vulnerable and you're trusting that God knows best. Now take this, you ready? Because I believe that inside every single one of us, there's these gems, these precious, precious gems. And do you know why the gems are exposed inside the river and the stream? Do you know how that works? So cool. The water rushes over them and it tumbles them around and they bump against each other and they mess against each other. And as they do that, as they bump against each other, little bits of the rock, little bits of the hard exterior fall off, exposing the gems that are inside. Now, when the rock is in the stream and the gems are starting to be exposed, it can be seen, it can be visible. Can you start to see the picture? When we get in the stream and we come in on a Sunday and we're in the stream and we're worshiping, but we're vulnerable and we're getting bumped by somebody and somebody's rubbing us the wrong way and they're, you know, they're sitting too close and they're saying, oh, they're BO or whatever it might be. Do you know what God's doing? He's actually going, you're in the stream and I'm just rubbing that off because inside each and every one of you is something that's incredibly valuable. Inside you is this gem and there's no way to discover what's inside you without you being in the stream. Church, the biggest problem we see is that we won't take that step to go in the stream and to spend time submitting, surrendering and being surrounded by His presence. God, I submit my agenda, my plans, everything that I think is needful to hang on to, God, I submit it, I surrender it, I wanna be vulnerable in your presence. And sometimes we go, God, I wanna be vulnerable in your presence, I trust you, I trust you, but God, this person, they're really bugging me, and he's like, do you trust me? Follow me, you ready? Do you trust me? He's like, yes, I really trust you. They're in your life to tumble around next to you because they're gonna expose the gems that are inside you. And do you know what too many of us do? We stand on the safety of the shore, we, we like to look and we like to go, mm, I can smell the water. Anyone ever been to those ribbing, the, the running waters and you smell it, don't you? Like this, you, you actually smell the fragrance coming off the water and you see the water and it's got this incredible cooling feeling. But I believe God's challenging some of us to go into the water. He's actually challenging you to take a step of faith and go, do you trust me? Don't just step on the edge, step into it. Step in that water. Stay in that water, stay submitted, surrender, stay vulnerable. Be in that place where God can talk to you. And I'm gonna say this, I believe God can do more in five minutes of standing in the stream than in five years of counselors. Not against counselors, I think they're fantastic, but I wanna encourage you, step into the stream. My time's done. I just wanna take that moment this morning and say to you, maybe, you need a stone to slay your Goliath. Maybe there's a giant standing in front of you. Step in the stream. Maybe you know, and I believe many of you know this, man, there's something, there's a deposit that God has put deep inside me. And I so wanna bring it out and bring glory and honor to Him. I so want that to shine and show forth His goodness and His glory. And I'm gonna say that is only revealed when you spend time in the stream. Are you getting that this morning? Father God, I pray right now. Would you close your eyes? Bow your head.
Father, I submit myself and this sermon and this series to you. And Lord, I pray that this in itself would be rolled around and that out of it would come beauty and deposits would be left into people's hearts and people's lives. Father, today we submit, we surrender, we kneel, we bow down before you, Lord, not just physically, but our plans, our hopes, our dreams, our agendas. Father, we lay them before you and we say, God, let your stream just wash over us today. We trust that you have the very best for our lives and we want to take that step of faith like Jacob did, like Abraham did, like Isaac did. And we want to stand in that stream in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. We hope you enjoyed the service. We are praying for you and we will see you next week.